Volume One, Chapter Seventeen of Gwen Wynne. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Gwen Wynne, A Romance of the Why by Main Reed. Chapter Seventeen The Corpse Candle. Jack Wingate lives in a little cottage whose bit of garden ground brinks the country road where the latter trends close to the Wye at one of its sharpest sinuosities. The cottage is on the convex side of the bend, having the river at back, with a deep drain or wash running up almost to its walls and forming a fence to one side of the garden. This gives the waterman another and more needed advantage, a convenient docking place for his boat. There the Mary, Maud, swings at her painter in safety, and when a rise in the river threatens, he is at hand to see she is not swept off. To guard against such catastrophe, he will start up from his bed at any hour of the night, having more than one reason to be careful of the boat, for besides being his Gagney Payne, it is the name, by himself given, of her, the thought of whom sweetens his toil and makes his labour light. For her he bends industriously to his oar, as though he believed every stroke made and every boat's length gained was bringing him nearer to Mary Morgan. And in a sense, so is it. Whichever way the boat's head may be turned, the farther he rows her, the grander grows that heap of gold he is hoarding up against the day when he hopes to become a Benedict. He has a belief that if he could but display before the eyes of Farmer Morgan sufficient money to take a little farm for himself and stock it, he might then remove all obstacles between him and Mary, mother's objections and sinister and sacerdotal influence included. He is aware of the difference of rank, that social chasm between, being oft bitterly reminded of it, but, emboldened by Mary's smiles, he has little fear but that he will yet be able to bridge it. Favouring the programme thus traced out, there is fortunately no great strain on his resources by way of drawback, only the maintaining of his own mother, a frugal dame, thrifty besides, who, instead of adding to the current expenses, rather curtails them by the adroit handling of her needle. It would have been a distaff in the olden days. Thus helped in his housekeeping, the young waterman is enabled to put away almost every shilling he earns by his oar, and this same summer all through till autumn, which it now is, has been more than usually profitable to him by reason of his so often having Captain Rycroft as his fare, for although the hussar officer no longer goes salmon fishing, he has somehow been spoilt for that. There are other excursions upon which he requires the boat, and it ever generously, even lavishly, pays for it. From one of these the young waterman has but returned, and after carefully bestowing the Mary at her moorings, stepped inside the cottage. It is Saturday, within one hour of sundown, that same Saturday spoken of at the harvest home. But though Jack is just home, he shows no sign of an intention to stay there. Instead, behaves as if he intended going out again, though not in his boat. And he does so intend, for a purpose unsuspected by his mother, to keep that appointment made hurriedly and in a half-whisper amid the fracas of the fireworks. The good dame had already set the table for tea, ready against his arrival, covered it with a cloth, snow-white of course, the tea-things superimposed, in addition, a dining-plate, knife and fork, these for a succulent beefsteak heard hissing on the gridiron almost as soon as the Mary made appearance at the mouth of the wash 
and soon as the boat was docked done it is now on the table alongside the teapot its savoury odour mingling with the fragrance of the freshly drawn tea fills the cottage kitchen with a perfume to delight the gods for all it gives no gratification to jack wingate the waterman the appetising smell of the meat and the more ethereal aroma of the chinese shrub are alike lost upon him appetite he has none and his thoughts are elsewhere less from observing his abstraction than the slow negligent movements of his knife and fork the mother asks what's the matter with you jack you don't eat i ain't hungry mother but you been out since morning and took nothing wi you true but you forget who i ha been out with the captain ain't the man to let his boatman be a hungered we wore down the day far as simmons yacht where he treated me to dinner at the hotel the daintiest kind o of dinner too no wonder at my not having much care for eating now nice as you've made things mother notwithstanding the compliment the old lady is little satisfied less as she observes the continued abstraction of his manner he fidgets uneasily in his chair every now and then giving a glance at the little dutch clock suspended against the wall which in loud ticking seems to say you'll be late you'll be late she suspects something of the cause but inquires nothing of it instead she but observes speaking of the patron he be very good to ye jack ah that he be good to every one as comes nigh him and deservin it but ain't he stayin in the neighbourhood longer than he first spoke of doin maybe he is grand gentry such as he ain't like us poor folk they can go and come when's ever it please em i suppose he have his reasons for remaining now jack you know he have and i have heerd something about em myself what have you heard mother oh what you hadn't been a rowin him up and down the river now nigh on five months without findin out and if you haven't others have it's goin all about that he's after a young lady as lives somewhere below tidy girl they say though i never seed her myself is it so my son say well mother since you've put it straight at me in that way i won't deny it to you though i'm in a manner bound to sacrecy with others it be true that the captain have some notion of such a lady there be a story too o her being nigh drownded and his saving her out of a boat now jack whose boat could that be if it wa'n't yourn twore mine mother that's true enough i would have told you long ago but he asked me not to talk of the thing besides i didn't suppose you'd care to hear about it well she says satisfied tain't much to me nor you neither jack only as the captain being so kind we'd both like to know the best about him if he have took a fancy for the young lady i hope she return it she ought after his doing what he did for her i hadn't heard her name what be it she's a miss wynn mother a very rich heiress deed i believe she ain't a heiress any longer or won't be after next thursday sin that day she comes a age and that night there's to be a big party at her place dancin and all sorts of festivities i know it because the captain's going there and has bespoke the boat to take him win eh that be a welsh name wonder if she's any kin of the great sir watkin can't say mother i believe there be several branches of the win family yes and all of the good sort if she be one of the welsh winds the captain can't go far astray in having her for his wife mrs wingate is herself of crimic ancestry originally from the shire of pembroke but married to a man of montgomery where jack was born it is only of late in her widowhood she has become a resident of herefordshire so you think he have a notion of her jack 
more'n that mother i may as well tell you he be dead in love with her and if you seed the young lady herself you wouldn't wonder at it she be most as good-looking as jack suddenly interrupted himself on the edge of a revelation he would rather not make to his mother nor any one else for he has hitherto been as careful in keeping his own secret as that of his patron as who she asked looking him straight in the face and with an expression in her eyes of no common interest that of maternal solicitude who well he answers confusedly i were going to mention the name o girl who the people bout here think the best looking at any in the neighbourhood and nobody more'n yourself my son you needn't give her name i know it oh mother what do you mean he stammers out with eyes on the but half-eaten beefsteak i take it they've been telling you some stories bout me no they han't nobody said a word about you relating to that i've seed it for myself long since though you've tried to hide it i'm not going to blame you either for i believe she be a tidy proper girl but she's far aboon you my son and you mourn mind how you behave yourself if the young lady be anything likes good-looking as mary morgan yes mother that's the strangest thing at all he interrupts her speaking excitedly again interrupting himself what strangest she inquires with a look of wonderment never mind mother i'll tell you all about it some other time i can't now you see it's nine nine of the clock well and what if it be because i may be too late too late for what surely you aren't going out again the night she asks this seeing him rise up from his chair i must mother but why well the boat painters got frailed and i want a bit of whipcord to lap it with they have the thing at the ferry shop and i must get there afore they shut up a fib perhaps pardonable as the thing he designs lapping is not his boat's painter but the waist of mary morgan and not with slender whipcord but his own stout arms why won't it do in the morning asks the ill-satisfied mother well you see there's no knowing but that somebody may come after the boat the cap'n mayn't but he may changing his mind anyhow he'll want her to go down to them grand doings at langowan court langowan court yes that's where the young lady lives that's to be on thursday you said true but then there may come a fair the morrow and what if there do tain't the painter only as wants splicing there's a bit of a leak sprung close to the cutwater and i must have some pitch to pay it if jack's mother would only step out and down to the ditch where the mary is moored with a look at the boat she would make him out a liar its painter is smooth and clean as a piece of gimp not a strand unravelled while but two or three gallons of bilge water at the boat's bottom attest to there being little or no leakage but she good dame is not thus suspicious instead so reliant on her son's truthfulness that without questioning further she consents to his going only with a proviso against his staying thus appealingly put you won't be gone long my son i know you won't indeed i shan't mother but why be you so particular about my going out this night more'n any other because jack this day more'n most others i've been feelin bothered like and a bit frightened frightened o what there han't been nobody to the house has there no ne'er a rover since you left me in the mornin then what's been a scarin you mother Deed, i don't know unless it had been brought on by the dream i had last night twere a dreadful unpleasant one i didn't tell you o it before you went out thinking it might worry ye tell me now mother it hadn't naught to do wi us ourselves after all only concerning them as live nearest us ha the morgans yes the morgans oh mother what did you dream about them 
that i was standing on the big hill above their house in the middle of the night with black darkness all round me and there looking down what should i see coming out of their door what the canwill corf the canwill corf yes my son i seed it that is i dreamed i seed it coming just out of the farmhouse door then through the yard and over the footplank at the bottom of the orchard when it went flaring up the meadows straight towards the ferry though you can't see that from the hill i dreamed i did and seed the candle go out on the chapel and into the burying ground that woke me what nonsense mother a ridiculous superstition i thought you'd left all that sort of stuff behind in the mountains of montgomery or pembrokeshire where the thing comes from as i've heard you say no my son it's not stuff nor superstition neither though english people say that to put slur upon us welsh your father before you believed in the camwell corf and with more reason ought i your mother i never told you jack but the night before your father died i said it go past our own door and on to the graveyard of the church where he now lies sure as we stand here there be someone doomed in the house of evan morgan there be only three in the family i do hope it ain't her as you might some day be wantin me to call daughter mother you'll drive me mad i tell you it's all nonsense mary morgan be at this moment healthy and strong most as much as myself if the dead candle you've been dreaming about were all of it true it couldn't be a burnin for her more like for mrs morgan who's half daft by believing in church candles and such things enough to turn her crazy if it doesn't kill her outright as for you my dear mother don't let the dream bother you the least bit and you mustn't be feeling lonely as i shan't be long gone i'll be back by ten sure saying which he sets his straw hat jauntily on his thick curly hair gives his guernsey a straightening twitch and with a last cheering look and encouraging word to his mother steps out into the night left alone she feels lonely withal and more than ever afraid instead of sitting down to her needle or making to remove the tea-things she goes to the door and there stays standing on its threshold and peering into the darkness for it is a pitch-dark night she sees or fancies a light moving across the meadows as if it came from farmer morgan's house and going in the direction of rugg's ferry while she continues gazing it twice crosses the wye by reason of the river's bend as no mortal hand could thus carry it surely it is the canwell corf chapter seventeen